Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my podcast. It is, as always, good to be with you again as I share some reflections on this sermon series that we have uh, kicked off last week about friendship. Uh, So before I jump into that, let me read the scripture that I'll be focusing on today. This comes from the book of Ruth um, in the Older Testament of the Bible, and uh, we're going to go from chapter 1, verses 15 through 21. Here are these words. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, and even de- if even death parts from me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has de- dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me, and the Almighty has brought calamity with me? May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. This past Wednesday, a group of folks from our site and the South Loop campus at Urban Village went over to Ping Tom Park, which is a park here in Chicago in Chinatown, and did some cleanup along the Chicago River. This was in conjunction with the Shedd Aquarium. They do Great Lakes Action Days, and so we spent a couple of hours over there picking trash out of the shores of the river and in the park, too. Uh, and as we started out, the folks from the shed had lots of tools for us. They had gloves and buckets, and they had the, I don't know what to call them, I guess, for lack of a better word, pinchers. So the long utensils where you can squeeze on one handle, and then on the other end are these little uh, plastic fingers that will grab onto pieces of trash so that you can put them into the buckets. They didn't have enough of these pinchers for everybody, and so some other folks had grabbed some. At first, I thought, well, I've got my gloves on. I'll just bend over and kind of pick up all of the different pieces of trash that we find. And more than once, as I was, I did this for a little while and wasn't in any particular pain, but of course, whenever you bend over, over and over again, your lower back maybe begins to feel it a little bit. And folks would say to me, do you want to take the pinchers? Uh, and every time that somebody did that, I would just say, no, no, that's okay. That's okay. Someone else would offer do you want the pinchers? No, no, that's okay. That's okay. And as I reflect on that later, I kept thinking to myself, why did I reject these kind offers that people were making to me? Is it like some kind of uh, ego thing that I felt like, no, no, I can, I can handle it. I can bend over and pick up these little pieces of styrofoam that are strewn all over the place. Uh, and it's something perhaps in all of us that we have this internal voice or something within us, and maybe it's growing up in this country or a sense of what it means to be um, a a man. I don't know what it is, but something kind of told me like, no, I can, I can do it myself or I can make it harder for myself. Others need the pinchers, but not me, which is really dumb thinking. I should have graciously accepted these offers that people were giving to me. 
And I don't think it's just this in our own lives or in this part of our lives too, whether it's service or work or whatever, but I think it's probably true in our relationships. At times we think that we have this exterior feeling love. And I can, I can handle this on my own. I can make it through whatever it is that I'm dealing with on my own. So in relationships, and I think that's also true in friendships. How many times uh, in our friendships, perhaps someone has made an offer to you and you initially say, no, no, that's okay. I should be able to handle this by myself. So that's what we want to reflect on today. I noted this beginning of this sermon series called Is there anybody out there where we are reflecting on the nature of friendships and faith, the need for them? Today, that's what I want to focus on, the the need for them, and then also what are the barriers that come up for us in developing and enriching and starting friendships? So why do we need friendship? There are so many medical studies out there (laughs) about how people with good, healthy friendships feel better physically. One study in particular, this was cited by Harvard Health Publishing that I read this week, examined data from more than 309,000 people, and they found that a lack of strong relationships increased the risk of premature death from all causes by 50%. That's an effect on mortality risk roughly comparable to smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Also, there was a study that I've cited in years past from a UCLA psychologist who talked about immune system responses at work and lonely people, and they found that social isolation turned up in the activity of genes responsible for inflammation and turned down the activity of genes that produce antibodies to fight infection, which spurred one spiritual author and Uh, Pastor John Ortberg to say, clearly it is better to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli by yourself. And I could be citing other studies too that talk about the need for relationships. And on the one hand, we can point to the physical benefits of having friendships, but probably we can all point to and tell stories about how emotionally and spiritually and mentally having close friendships, having friendships, receiving help and connection from friends helps us feel better. So I want to focus on two women in our scripture today. And when we talk about what are the barriers for us that cause us to not develop friendships perhaps as much as we could. So I want to talk about two different barriers today and look at how they come up in this relationship between Ruth and Naomi. So a quick refresher on the story of Ruth and Naomi Uh, The very beginning of the book of Ruth starts off by saying there's a famine in a land called Judah. And there are two, a couple who live in Judah, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech. Because there's a famine in Judah, they hear that there is food to be had in another land called Moab. And so Naomi and Elimelech, Elimelech go there with their sons, Malon and Chilion. They go to Moab. Now, this is not easily done because Moabites throughout scriptures are portrayed negatively. Uh, And so there may have been a little bit of hesitance from Naomi and Elimelech and their family to go, but they're hungry. They need food. And when they go there, the scriptures show us that the Moabites actually are generous. So while they are in Moab, sadly, tragedy strikes numerous times to Naomi. First, her husband Elimelech dies. Then, after her sons take Moabite wives, and this is where Ruth enters, Ruth and Orpah, 
marry her sons, but 10 years later, both of her sons die. So this leaves Naomi with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, and also, of course, understandably, with a lot of grief. At this point, Naomi wants to go back to her homeland. She wants to go back to Judah, and she insists that her daughters-in-law stay on in Moab. Uh, After some initial protests, Orpah does that. She stays in Moab. But Ruth, her other daughter-in-law, insists, insists on following Naomi wherever she goes. And that's where we pick up today. Now, when we first read this passage, understandably, we may see this as an interaction in family, maybe between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. But it's more than that. And we get a hint of that because of Ruth's name. The Hebrew word for Ruth means... You may guess this, friendship. So even the whole title of the book of this Bible may be, gives us a hint perhaps of what one of the themes that we read here, friendship. It's more than just family. It is about two individuals who have created or want to create this relationship with one another. So what are the barriers though that may pop up or have popped up for them in the development of this friendship. Let's take a look at Ruth first. What's the barrier here? Because when we read the passage, it seems like Ruth is very willing to engage and be in this relationship with Naomi. So initially you might think, well, there's some barriers here. There's a difference in nationality, as I noted. Ruth is a Moabite and Naomi is from Judah. There's an age difference. So when Naomi says, Uh, Go back to your people. Ruth might understandably say, that makes sense. I'm going to do that. But something is stirring in Ruth. And even before she makes the statement that we read in the scripture today, she has this uh, turning point. She's come to the uh, cross in the road. And so she has to make a decision about what do I do here? Do I go back to my people? That's what I know. That would be perhaps the safer route. Or... Will she be vulnerable here? Will she take a risk? And I have to assume that she has to overcome some fear. She's leaving so much in order to follow this woman back to a strange land. And so, it text doesn't tell us explicitly, but I have to believe that a barrier that she has to overcome is fear. A fear of risking. A fear of being vulnerable. And boy, does Ruth ever take this risk and take on this notion of fear. Ruth says, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Kathleen Farmer is an Old Testament scholar, and she says here that there's an indignation. When you really look at this passage, there's an indignation in Ruth's speech that the translation fails to pick up. And here I'm quoting Dr. Farmer, who says, Ruth is indignant because Naomi is urging her to abandon her present loyalties and to turn her back on her previous commitments, commitments she has made earlier to Naomi. Another thing, too, the translation of this text says that Ruth is saying that not only will I follow you in the future, but also I'm doing it now. So maybe in this passage, there are no verbs here in the text. So maybe a better way to say it is Ruth is saying, your God is my God. Your people are my my people. Therefore, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. 
And Dr. Farmer also says that Ruth perhaps might be saying, it makes me angry when you urge me to abandon these commitments. Ruth has already committed herself. And so for Naomi to turn away from this, it makes Ruth angry. But perhaps I think there's a barrier here that Ruth has made her way over. And that is the barrier of fear. And I think we face that in our own friendships. When we take that little bit of a step, when we risk something, the fear or rejection that we might face, when we want to deepen a friendship with another person, what will happen when they when they speak to us? What will happen? Will they think that uh, we're needy? Will they uh, think that we're clingy? Anything like that by trying to build this relationship? Is that a barrier for you in your own relationships? This barrier of fear of not wanting to expose yourself, of not wanting the other to maybe think less of you by being vulnerable. There's a really great passage in the book, The Color Purple by Alice Walker, that talks about vulnerability and perhaps two women who are making um, a prom or who are overcoming fear in their own lives. Uh, you may know the book, The Color Purple, two of the main characters are Celie and Shug. And this excerpt from the book that I want to read comes fairly early on in the book. Celie is married to uh, her husband, but he abuses her. Uh, and then also Shug, who is an entertainer, uh, who is ostracized in the community because of her bad reputation, but Celie's husband takes her in. Perhaps he has attractions to her too. Uh, and so here we see Celie is, or Shug is really, no, Celie is really taken with Shug. Uh, and Shug at first doesn't really know what to make of Celie. In fact, the first time that they uh, interact, uh, Shug calls Celie ugly. But here in the book, we see that Shug is beginning to get healthier. She had been very skinny, had been in poor health, and she had been kind of getting her strength back while living with them. And so here in this part of the book, it talks about Shug is about ready to, to leave the house. And so I'm going to read part of this book. Again, this is from The Color Purple. A couple notes about this. This is written in the first person. So this is Celie who is uh, writing this. And also later in the text, I will, um, she talks about, Celie talks about her husband who abuses her. And throughout the book, Celie calls her husband Mr. And then there's a blank. So when I say Mr. Blank, that is her husband. So again, this is Celie speaking. Uh, and also Suge is interacting with her. One day, Suge say to me, well, Miss Celie, I believe it's time for me to go. When, I asked. Early next month, she said, June. June, a good time to go off into the world. I don't say nothing. Feel like I felt when my sister Nettie left. Shug come over and put her hand on my shoulder. He beat me when you're not here, I say. Who do, Shug say? Albert? Mr. Blank, I say. I can't believe it, Shug say. She sit down on the bench next to me real hard like she dropped. What he beat you for, she asked for being me and not you? Oh, Miss Seeley, she say, and put her arms around me. Us sit like that for maybe half an hour. Then she kiss me on the fleshy part of my shoulder and stand up. I won't leave, she say, until I know Albert won't even think about beating you. So here we see two women who are risking a little bit and maybe overcoming some fear at first Celie overcomes the fear of letting Suge know that her husband beats her. 
and taking that risk and being vulnerable in a way to let her know this is what happens. Suge also takes a risk by saying, I'm not leaving here until I know that you will be safe. So we see two friends who become lovers later in the book. But initially here, we see two friends who are risking and who are overcoming the barrier of fear in order to draw closer to one another. So maybe that's one barrier for you in your own relationship, your own friendships. So now let's take a look at Naomi here in this passage from from Ruth. So again, understandably, we think and believe perhaps that she is experiencing grief upon grief. First, her husband has died and her two sons. She's not in her homeland. So no doubt she is feeling empty. And later in the text, she talks about my my name is no longer Naomi, which means pleasant, but instead is Mara, which means bitter. So she's experiencing this. And so for her, her barrier is grief, yes, but also maybe her barrier might be pride, that she is not wanting to accept any action, any experience of help or support from another person. I don't know if Naomi is feeling like I can handle this on my own. Maybe she's in a, not in a place where she can really receive that. But maybe the barrier for her here is pride. Now, this might be an extreme example, but maybe sometimes we are in a place in our own friendships where we feel like we have to move forward by ourselves without help thinking we can do this on our own. I don't want to burden somebody else. I don't want to be um, in a relationship where I may feel like I owe somebody that. Again, Dr. Farmer says this about Naomi. She says, she writes, listeners must recognize that they, like Naomi, have pockets of emptiness in their lives that cannot be filled through their own efforts. Is this a barrier for you? The pride of feeling like I I can do this on my own. I don't need to receive any help from anybody else, even if it's a, a generous offer like Ruth has made here to Naomi. A really wonderful example that I have given, I know, in the past from different sermons, and I know I've done it at Urban Village. And in worship, I'm going to show a clip from the scene uh, near the end of the first uh, Lord of the Rings movie, The Fellowship of the Ring. If you don't know anything about The Fellowship of the Ring or The Lord of the Rings, a very, very uh, quick synopsis. There's a character in the book called Frodo who comes into the possession of a ring which has very strong powers. And with help from others, he realizes that these powers uh, are not for anybody really truly to have and the ring must be destroyed. And it must be destroyed where the ring was forged in an area called Mordor. And so Frodo needs to destroy this ring. And Frodo decides, I have to do this by myself. I don't want to put my friends in peril. I've got to go on my own. And the clip I'm going to show is the decision that he makes where he is going to destroy this ring on his own. So he gets on a boat and he goes out into the water. And then Frodo's best friend, Sam, calls out to him. And he says, Frodo, And Frodo calls back to Sam. He says, go back. I'm going to Mordor alone. And Sam says, of course you are, but I'm going with you. And so here we have this offer of help from a friend, from Sam. And Frodo says, I don't want your help. I'm going to do this alone. I can do this on my own. 
And then Sam runs out into the water and Frodo says, you cannot swim. And so finally, Sam makes his way to the boat only because Frodo reaches down and pulls him into the boat. And Sam said, I made a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. Don't you leave him. And I don't mean to. And so finally, Frodo accepts this offer of help. Perhaps Frodo had good intentions. He didn't want to put his friends in danger, but maybe also there's a little bit of pride too, that Frodo feels like I can do this on myself. I don't need any help, which I think sometimes we, that's a barrier, that barrier of, uh, of pride. I don't know if it's called selfishness, whatever you want to name it, but this sense of like, I can do it myself. I can go on my own. Even when friends make offers of help and we turn those away, And yet, I think when we do that, we really lose out. We miss out on developing and deepening these relationships. When someone makes an offer to you, rather than just initially saying, no, it's okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, stop and think, are you okay? Do you need assistance? Are you not allowing someone else to live out their own gifts by making this offer of help? Are you putting a barrier to the deepening of a friendship, which helps us in so many different ways by saying, no, I can, I can do this on my own. Friends, we need friendships for all facets of our life to, to help us, as I noted earlier, physically, but also mentally, emotionally, and certainly spiritually too. So what are the barriers for you that make it hard for you to deepen or make friendships? Is it fear? The fear of taking a risk, the fear of being vulnerable, the fear of being rejected. How can God help you overcome that barrier? Or is that barrier pride? That feeling of, no, I can do it by myself. I don't need anybody's help, even when that help is offered. So my hope and prayer for you is to reflect on, are you Ruth or Naomi? And maybe sometimes we're both. And my prayer is that God will help you to risk to be vulnerable in order to make an offer. And also, my prayer is for you to also, eventually, Naomi accepts help from Ruth and from others. And so eventually, to also receive, to put away the pride and know that I am in need of others. And that helps to deepen those relationships and friendships too. My prayer is that you can do all of these things, knowing that God gives us the ability to overcome and to risk, but also to humble ourselves and to receive when that offer is made for us too. Amen. Well, friends, thank you once again for listening to the sermon podcast. Uh, I am off next week, so I'll be back uh, with this particular podcast in two weeks. Uh, In the meantime, you can always learn more about my church, my book, and my other podcast, the Failing Boldly podcast. You can go to my website, christiancoon.com, and you can also reach out to me there. Uh, with other thoughts, reflections, and any kind of connections that you'd like to make. And so, friends, until the next time that we connect in this way, may the peace of Christ be with you. <laughs>